to worship you, to hear from your word. We pray that this morning as we've gathering here, that we continue to remember that we're gathering with brothers and sisters in Christ around Barron County, around the world, and may our hearts be encouraged as we reflect on what you're doing, not only here, but around the world. Pray that you be honored and glorified in all we do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Encourage you to say hello to those who are around you. Um, if you don't know someone, feel free to introduce yourself. If you've met someone before, you can say, remind me your name. I'm Pastor Tony, pastor for youth here at Maranatha. We have a, a handful of announcements this morning we'll uh, jump into. So first, I just want to um, encourage you, if you have prayer requests, to fill out the little yellow sheets that should be in the pews. If there's not one there, there are some at the welcome desk usually. Uh, you can fill out prayer requests, or if you're new, or if you're visiting, we'd love to find out, uh, get to know you, and so you can fill out your information. You can fill that out and put it in the offering box, so... Uh, which is in, the, in between the doors on your way out. And just as a reminder, we, we view offering as something that is part of our act of worship. Ever since COVID, we've been doing it differently. Um, sometimes I'm sad about that because I, I think we sometimes don't um, reflect together on that, that trust piece of, of trusting God with our offering. So just, uh, it's not a big push or anything about that, but I just want to encourage you to, to make that an act of worship for yourself. Whatever the God, wherever God leads you to do in terms of participating in the work of the ministries. God has been so faithful to Maranatha. We are debt-free as a church. Like we, God has just been so good to us, even through COVID and all of the craziness of that. So we praise him and thank him for that. But uh, just encourage you, as a part of your regular act of worship, um, that's on the in between the doors on the way out. And welcome to those who are joining us online as well. We still have you know, a number of families that, uh, that join us online, so we uh, haven't forgotten about you. We uh, miss some of you that we may haven't seen as often face-to-face, -face, but we're glad that technology allows people to join us online as well. We have a rock climbing, our final rock climbing and beach event for the youth. That's this Wednesday. Uh, basically, we'll be at Interstate State Park from about 10 to 4. But if you're riding with us, meet at the Soul Garage at 8.30. And we'll be returning around 7 p.m. because we're we'll going to be grabbing supper at the drive-in in Taylor's Falls again. Sign up at thesoulgarage.com for that. Uh, we are actually taking your, your orders for the restaurant ahead of time to make it less crazy when we go to the restaurant. So that's uh, for youth and families. Again, families, whole families are invited. Even if you don't have teenagers, you're welcome to come hang out with us out at Interstate State Park. That's this Wednesday. Uh, we have um, the women's kayaking, I think, is the next one I was going to hit up. The, so women's Bravehearts Women Kayaking, that's Tuesday, August 16th. So save the date for that. Uh, ladies, if you want to be uh, involved in that, uh, enjoy the summer while it lasts. Um, men's, uh, let's see, make sure, there we go. Men's, uh, Justin, is Justin here? Maybe not. Was just oh, or Ben. Ben will share. All right. So, uh, men have a, an event coming up as well that uh, Ben can share a little bit about that. All right. Good morning, everybody. So yeah, on August nineteenth and twentieth, we have a men's camping trip coming up, um, and it's men and boys. Take your kids with. That'd be great. Uh, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing a little teaching and fishing and kayaking and canoeing on Saturday. Um, it'll be starting on Friday night at 5 p.m. We're going to be going to Barry Frizinger's house. Um, he has a nice spot laid out for us right down by the river that we can enjoy and set up camp. So if you're thinking, oh, this is going to be like a rough and rugged trip, it's not that uh, rough and rugged. It's right next to a river, easy access, easy walk-in. Barry has it really nice for us to lay out. Um, so yeah, so come, uh, bring your uh, young boys and uh, be ready for some teaching and some fun. Uh, talk to me or Justin or um, I believe we have a sign-up sheet out, out there also to um, uh, just get signed up for that so that we can be ready for you. Thanks. Thanks, Ben. All right. Uh, baptism service and uh, church picnic. That's on August 21st. We've mentioned that uh, for a couple weeks, I think, now here. If you are able to come, we would love to have you, even if you're not 
um, being baptized or don't have a family member who's being baptized. This is a neat time together as a church family. It's a time to gather. Um, and we have, we have the lake available. That's out at Arrowhead, August 21st. We do have sign-ups for that in terms of uh, bringing food as potluck. But again, as a reminder, we're asking that you not bring uh, uh, food items that have dairy in them just so they don't sit and get cooked in your car on the way out there. Uh, but other, other items can be brought with. The men are going to be, I think, taking the lead on cooking up some meat for that. Uh, but that's on the 21st. And also, if you are needing to be baptized, wanting to be baptized, or you have questions about that, maybe you're not sure. Um, sometimes we have people who maybe were baptized as an infant in either a Catholic or a Lutheran church, and they have questions, do I need to be rebaptized? We'd love to sit and visit with you as a pastor. I had conversations this past week with, with the family, and, um, and so... You know, talk to one of us pastors. We love to get people signed up for that. We, we, we do believe that it is an act of obedience. It's something that we are commanded to do um, in the Great Commission, and there's examples throughout the New Testament in the book of Acts. Um, that's the pattern. You, you repent, you believe, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and, and you are baptized, and it's a really uh, neat time, a, a neat part of our faith journey that, that we don't view as an optional thing. Sometimes I think people view it as this optional thing that you can just do if you really want to, but we really encourage you um, to think about that, and if you have questions, we'd love to chat with you about that. A um, couple more announcements, a lot this morning. Men's softball, congratulations to the men's softball team. I think we have a little photo of the, of the crew um, for another uh, great season of, of men's uh, softball. So um, they might be doing a little hangout at the Soul Garage uh, to celebrate the end of the season. So keep an ear out for that if you were part of that, that group this year. Um, next Sunday, Brother Dave from Dr. Pat's Ministry is going to be coming to share with us. So many of you know uh, Brother Dave and Dr. Pat's Ministry. Uh, if you're not familiar, I encourage you not to miss it next Sunday as we think about and pray for the persecuted church. So that's next Sunday. And then finally, uh, we just want to uh, allude to Pastor Aaron is, is going to be preaching this morning. A welcome back to Pastor Aaron and Corinne from Albania. So we're super excited to hear this morning a little bit about uh, their, their time in Albania and what God is doing there, and that's uh, just something we want to celebrate with them. So let me pray um, as we transition and pray for Pastor Aaron as he comes to share with us this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time that we gather. Thank you for Pastor Aaron and Corinne and their ministry here, um, as well as their opportunity they had recently to go to Albania and to minister there um, to see what you're doing in that part of the world. And uh, we are excited to hear a little bit about that as Pastor Aaron shares and preaches this morning. Pray that you would empower him, that you would speak through him to us, and that our hearts would be challenged and encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. It's good to be uh, back home uh, after a brief time away. Um, before I get started this morning, there's some thank yous that I would like to say. Uh, first of all, thank you to you, um, all those who prayed for us while we were away and even uh, leading up to the trip. Um, it was an excellent trip, probably the best missions trip I've ever been on. Um, and it was just an excellent time uh, spending days and hours in the Word um, with those who had never heard it before. So thank you for that. Also, a thank you to uh, our elder board for giving me the time off to go. Um, that was um, a big load off my mind, and thank you for that. Um, I just wanted to share this morning, Pastor Cody asked me to, to share just a brief report um, about uh, kind of what went on and, and what we did uh, in Albania. So um, first of all, uh, why Albania? Why, why did we go uh, specifically to Albania? So there's, there's several reasons. First off is we know uh, a local pastor uh, who uh, pastors in Tirana, which is the capital city there in Albania. Um, he's been connected with uh, my home church for a number of years and has been asking a team to come to help run uh, a, a Bible camp for adults uh, ever since we've known him. Um, so just a little bit about Albania. Uh, in 1967, Albania uh, was the first nation ever to declare itself an atheist state. Um, that was in 1967, and uh, soon after that, uh, communis uh, during that time, communism um, from, from 1976 to 1992, uh, when communism began to fall uh, in Europe. Um, so there was no religion for, for a very long time. Uh, there was influence from other countries, mostly Muslim countries, 
Uh, and when communism fell, everyone kind of ran to uh, either being Catholic or to be Muslim, back to the, back to the roots from uh, centuries past. So, um, but this, uh, now, Albania, uh, while it w most people would consider themselves either Catholic or Muslim, it is mostly just uh, cultural. Uh, they don't, they aren't active worshipers of either of those religions. It's more like, oh, my, my grandparents were, uh, and so I am now. Not, they aren't uh, specifically active worshipers. As I said, uh, we partnered with uh, a church there uh, in the capital city of uh, Tirana uh, that was with uh, Alton and Diana Zeffi. Uh, they are great people who um, are very dear to my heart, and uh, their church consists of about 75 uh, to 100 people on a given Sunday. I had the opportunity, opportunity to, to preach the Sunday we were there, and that was, um, that was a, a great joy uh, through the use of technology, um, being able to, to translate some, they are uh, that most of most of the people there at least understand English, so that was uh, a blessing not to have a, a large language barrier. Uh, the church recently they were rejoicing because they had recently, um, during COVID, uh, purchased a, an actual building. They had been meeting and renting for uh, a long time, and so. Uh, that presents a lot of challenges. Obviously, if you want to host anything, you have to either do it at someone's home or uh, pay extra money and figure and schedule things. So they had recently um, bought a church building, which is actually uh, a hostel. So the first four floors, they actually rent out uh, for extra revenue. And then the top floor of the hostel uh, is a church. So it's a great uh, ministry opportunity as well. Well, we actually stayed at the hostel a few nights and met people from Saudi Arabia, the Netherlands, Holland, Finland, England, uh, South Africa, many different places. Uh, even in that time, we're able to share uh, why we were there specifically. Um, for the camp itself, we spent a week uh, up in the mountains at a hotel, uh, specifically with with 50, about 55 uh, Albanian people. Um, and the goal of the camp was to uh, take young Christians and deepen their faith, but also for Christians to bring their non-believing friends to this camp so that they would uh, know Jesus and to, uh, to learn about the Bible. And um, it, was a, it was a great time. So we spent a week uh, for it, it, specifically studying the book of First John. And just to give you a summary of what we do, we would have three hours a day of personal study. Then we would have another three hours of small group study. Um, and also about 30, 30 minutes to an hour of a large group time uh, where either myself or my father-in-law would kind of summarize what we had learned through that day. So it was a very intense time in the Word, and uh, it helped me grow immensely uh, in, in my own faith, but it was also a pleasure to uh, be with those who had not heard the Word uh, before. Uh, each, for each small group time, we, we would study independently and then meet as a, as a small group to discuss what we had learned, so our, my small group specifically, mine and my wife's, uh, consisted of uh, eight people, six of whom who were believers. Several of them actually worked with Campus Crusade for Christ, which was a, uh, a big blessing to me to have someone, uh, someone else there who was mature in the faith and be able to answer questions. But we also had two individuals who were not believers, and not only were they not believers, they had never read the Bible before. Um, they had never really heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They knew who Jesus was, um, but the first day uh, they were even amazed to learn that we need to confess our sin. So um, it, was, it was a great opportunity uh, to be able to stretch myself. Um, evangelism isn't always something that uh, I think about or that I think I'm good at, and it was a great opportunity to be able to be there and be with uh, the people in Albania. Um, and also in the, in the evening, we would, we would also do meals together, whether it was breakfast, lunch, or dinner, but then in the evening we would... Uh, play different games, different activities. Uh, they, uh, one, of, one of the nights we, we had an American night and taught them some about our culture. And then the, the next night they actually surprised us and it was Albanian night. So uh, several people came up dressed in uh, traditional Albanian wedding attire uh, and uh, taught us some uh, dancing, which took a long time to catch on to for uh, a Baptist boy. But... Um, it was uh, it was a it was a great week of ministry, um, and we ended the week by uh, some new believers being uh, baptized uh, there in the pool with uh, Pastor Alton and, and several people, and that was also a great time to witness to those 
um, who were not believers. Uh, we did not specifically see anyone um, come to Christ. No one made a profession of faith, but we are confident that the Holy Spirit is working. And uh, the, the non-believers there were brought by their friends, so they have a, a, a great way to be plugged into the church there in uh, Tirana. And um, as I said, a great week of ministry. Um, when I got home, I slept from 10 p.m. till noon the next day. So I was very, very, very tired, um, but it was a great trip all in all, and I thank you for um, the opportunity to go and for your support, whether it was through prayer or through finances. Um, I'm indebted to you for that, and thank you very much for that. Uh, Pastor Cody also asked me to share. Um, we went through the book of First John uh, this past week, and he thought you all might need a little break from the Gospel of Mark, so we're going to be uh, looking at the book of First John, just as uh, as a whole, if you want to if you want to turn there, First um, John is an excellent book uh, for many different reasons. It was written by um, John, who, whom uh, Jesus loved, the the closest disciple to Christ, and uh, John here is writing uh, to believers. Uh, unlike other letters, like Paul Paul writes or other authors write, it's not uh, specific to a church. Scholars have kind of debated on. Maybe it's to this church or that church, but um, Paul, or uh, excuse me, John here never really says specifically uh, who the letter is to, other than that it is to believers, uh, and that makes it uh, very, very special to us as believers. It's it's a letter of encouragement, but also a letter of warning. Um, uh, many, many years ago, over a hundred years ago, there was a, a short story that was written that has been turned into uh, many, many different films. And uh, you, you might know it uh, by its, the, the title of the short story was Death Takes a Holiday. You, you might be familiar with this story. Uh, there's been different film adaptations that have come out um, about this short story. And one was uh, released in 1998. And uh, through, through this story, what, what happens in the story is is that uh, death, the, the kind of the concept of death, comes and wants to experience what it's like to be human. And so he, um, went after uh, someone dies, he assumes their body and, and begins to, uh, to walk around and wants to experience some things. So he, he comes to this uh, older man who's about to turn 65 and says, well, uh, we're, we're gonna, what we're going to do is, since I'm death, I kind of hold your life in the balance I will give you uh, a, a few more weeks with your family until your 65th birthday. If you show, basically, if you show me around and, and teach me and, and uh, let me examine what it means to be human. And the man struggles with this at first, but finally agrees because he has some things he wants to wrap up with his family. And throughout the film, it's very, very interesting because um, at first the man uh, is very, very afraid of death and their relationship is is strained. But by the end of the film, it's very interesting because they, they almost share a, a closeness. But throughout the film, you see their characters shift very, very drastically. Um, Death actually falls in love with the man's daughter and, and wants to be with her forever. But the man reminds me, he's like, you're death. You, this can never happen. This could never happen. And, and he, Death realizes this. And uh, throughout the film, there's many different emotional things that Death experiences. Um, he actually, one of, the, one of the funnier scenes of the movie is the first time that he tries peanut butter and he eats an entire jar. Um, and just funny things like that happen throughout the film. But at the end of the film, at the man's 65th birthday, he realizes that evening, it's, it's evening time, and they throw this, he's a millionaire, so they throw this grand party with fireworks. He, he takes time with his daughters and kind of says his, his goodbyes as best he can without hinting that he is going to die. But he kind of wraps things up with his daughters and he goes uh, to the top of this hill and kind of he's viewing the grand party that he's, that he's had and fireworks are going off and um, What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong is being played by a string quartet. And it's a very beautiful scene. And it's very interesting because death has changed very drastically as well, not just this man. This man has wrapped everything up and he's ready to die unlike he was several weeks ago. But what happens to death is that it doesn't, he doesn't want to leave. He doesn't want to go back to the way things used to be because he's realized how beautiful life is. And actually, it's interesting because there's a, there's a great, uh, great shot where the, the man who death has come for is standing there and you could just see in his face he's, 
He's wrapped everything up. He's, he's completed. He's ready to go. And death is standing next to him, and death is weeping because he's realized that death cannot compete with life. He's realized that death cannot compete with life. And he stands there, and, and he, tears are streaming out of his face, and eventually they both walk over the hill together. He realizes that death can never be as good as life. And that's what First John, uh, the theme of First John is all about. So we won't be spending uh, a lot of specific time on, on one passage. We're going to be doing uh, more so an overview of the book and just taking it chapter by chapter and discussing uh, kind of the highlights and, and the main messages of what John has to say. So if you're not there, please turn uh, to, to 1 John and we will uh, go through this book together. It was a blessing to be in this book uh, in Albania because John, uh, if you read John, John doesn't mix his words. He doesn't beat around the bush about things. He makes several stark contrasts between believers and non-believers. He talks about how believers have life, but non-believers are on a road that leads to death. He talks about uh, the the contrast between darkness and light and walking. um, Whoever walks in darkness does not know God. You cannot know God and walk in darkness. And one of my favorites is that he talks about the spirit of error versus the spirit of truth. And he, he doesn't mix his words in this book. And that's, that's one of the reasons we chose this book to go through. It's because it talks about the marks of a true believer and what it means to have God, but also what it means to not have God and the separation and what is caused by that separation. So in, in 1 John, there's five key messages that I want to touch on just uh, briefly this morning as we kind of do a a 30,000 foot view of this book. The first thing uh, that John writes about is that God is life and light. And we see that in in 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 through 5. What was from the beginning, what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes and what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and which was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. John uh, establishes, establishes himself in the, in the first verse as a credible source. He's like, hey, I've, seen, I've been with Jesus. I've seen him. I've touched him. I've, I've been with him. I know what I'm talking about. He's seen many different things. He wrote an entire gospel about the things that he had seen. But he also reminds the believers there about the life that Jesus Christ brings, the word of life and how Eternal life is tied to the person of Jesus Christ. We often separate, I I talked about this a few weeks ago, we often separate uh, Jesus' work from who he is. But John says, no, 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 he is eternal life. He doesn't just provide eternal life, it's him. And and he says it's from the beginning. It always has been him and it always will be him. And he he reminds us of, of two different aspects of life. He says what was from the beginning, and that's actually how he opens his gospel. He says, in, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He reminds us where our physical life, our very physical life, has come from by using the very words that Moses used when he was writing the first words in our Bible. In the beginning, God created to remind us where our life comes from, where our physical life comes from. But then he, he continues and reminds us where our spiritual life comes from. It's the same place there is that, that God creates, but he also sustains that life that which he has created, just like he did with creation. If you read the creation story, as, as God's creating life, often before he creates the life, he creates what it needs to sustain life. On day two, he creates the clouds and he creates the water, but there's nothing that needs those things yet. He, he provides what is needed before it's needed, just like he does with you and me in our spiritual lives. And this is a great reminder drawing us back to John chapter 3 when, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus 
and says, you know, you're, you're a great teacher, but I'm, I'm struggling to understand. And Jesus says, you're, you're thinking about a physical thing, and I need you to you think in spiritual terms, to be born again, not physically, but spiritually. And just like God sustains physical life, he sustains our spiritual life as well. He sustains his creation. In uh, Colossians 1.17, it says, He holds all things together. All things. Not just some things. Everything. He sustains and he holds all of his creation together, whether it's physical or spiritual, seen or unseen. He is the one who holds it all together. He is life and he is light. He creates life. He creates life, excuse me, but then he sustains it with his light. Secondly, in First John, in chapter 2, we read about Christ being our advocate in uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. It says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not ours only, but also for those of the whole world. It was a great opportunity for me to, to not in any way uh, dumb down my theology, but be able to explain propitiation to someone who had never heard that word before or ever read the gospel before. And w- the conclusion I drew is that propitiation means paid in full. There was a debt that was owed, and now it has been paid. We are saved from the wrath of God because he was our propitiation. One of my favorite uh, ways of explaining this is um, in, 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 in America, we often have forest fires in different places. We had some up by the boundary waters. And when there is a forest fire and you're out in the woods, do you know where the safest place to be is? Where the fire has already gone. In that char and what seems like ruin, but eventually life is going to spring up from. And it's going to be more beautiful even than it was before. That's what Christ did for you and for me. He took us out of the way of the fire and put us where it had already been in himself. He's our propitiation. Uh, but if, if, we, if we know our Bibles, we also know uh, from him being our advocate that he's also our mediator. He mediates between us and, and between God through the power of the Holy Spirit. There, there's a mediation there because we had to be reconciled back to God. He not only paid for us, but he also brought us back into right relationship with him. And if you want to see a, a real-life example of a mediator, your youth pastor is the perfect example. If you ever have an issue with someone else and you don't feel like you can go talk to him, Tony is a great guy to walk you through that and even to help you in that conversation to do that. He devotes much of his time to, to marriage counseling and, and reconciliation and being, being that mediator. And most of the time, and he would probably attest to this, it's just him asking a question that was already asked and just kind of stepping back and letting the conversation happen. But he gets that conversation going, and he's there in a, in a loving way to be that mediator between those two parties. And that's what Jesus is for you and for me, for the believers. And we read about that also in Hebrews chapter 9. And Christ is our advocate. The, the way um, the Albanians actually explain this to me is their word for advocate in their Bibles was uh, actually lawyer. Christ is our great lawyer. He's the one who gets up and tells the judge why we are innocent. He explains perfectly to God the Father why we should be set free because of what he has done. And because of these things, because he's our advocate because he's our propitiation because he's our mediator he is also our confidence he is also our confidence and we read about that also in in hebrews chapter 9 in verses 11 to 15 it says but when christ appeared he he appeared as a as a high priest of the good things to come he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling 
those who have been defiled sanctify of the cleansing of flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. He is our confidence because of what he has done for us. Because he's our advocate, because he's our propitiation, because he is our mediator, we can have confidence in him because of what he has done for you and what he has done for me. We can have confidence. There's no reason to be scared anymore. And, and John even writes about that in, in his books. He says, I'm not writing this to scare you. I'm, I'm writing this to you so that you may have joy and joy abundant, that you, that you may be complete, that you may have an understanding and that you may not worry anymore because you have confidence because of what Christ has done, not because of anything we could ever do, but because of what Christ has done. In, uh, in the end of uh, chapter 2 and into uh, chapter 3, there's a, a transition talking about uh, who Christ is and, and what we are in Christ into our relationship with one another. And in, in 1 John uh, 3, verses 9 through 12, we read about, um, who we are and, and how we are to treat others. And 1 John 3, 9 through 12 says, No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain who was of the of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. From the beginning, it has been the command to love God and to love others. You can't do one without doing the other. I was, I was asked recently, why, why do Christians ask, you know, we might get a question like, well, have you read your Bible lately? But we don't ask each other, uh, how have you been loving your brother? But I would say that if you are doing the first one, you will do the second one. If you are in the Word, if you are abiding in Him, that will naturally lead you to love others because your relationship with the Father, because of the love He has lavished on you, will go out from you because of what He has done for you. Loving others is sometimes a, a tricky thing. It's not always easy. And I think there, there are some ways that I, I just want to touch on this morning that we can do that well. And the, the first one is, is based out of uh, Philippians 2, and it, uh, where, where Paul writes, Do nothing from, selfish, from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. That is a difficult task without Christ. But with Christ, using his example, we can see that is, in comparison to what he did and regarding others as more important than himself, it is very easy for us. And the, the first thing I, I see in Philippians is to value others. Put, a, put value on others. And there's some very easy ways to do this. If you have a meeting with someone, or if you're maybe just going over to their house for dinner, be on time. That communicates my time is just as important as your time. When you're constantly late for things, it communicates to the other person that they are not valued. Whether that's your intent or not, that is what you are communicating. Secondly, I think, I think just about everyone has experienced this. Has anyone ever been told from another person that, oh, we need to talk. Anyone ever heard that before? It's funny, in, in my time here as a pastor, I've gotten that several times. And how many, do you know, take a, take a guess how many times that, is to be, that has been for an encouraging conversation. Zero. I get a text, oh, can I come into your office today? Can I, can I do this? 
Zero times that has been to say, hey, Aaron, you're doing a great job. You're running the children's ministry very well. When your boss comes in to say, hey, we need to talk, it's usually never a good thing. Let's change that culture. It's usually when you get a text like that, it's, it's because maybe we see a sin issue, but often it's, it's because we're not doing things the way that someone else wants us to do them. It may not even be a sin issue. But let's, let's say to each other, let's be encouraging to one another. So, so often, even within the church, our, our discouragement, our, our lack of encouragement, our, our judgment on others so far outweighs our encouragement of one another. Like I said, I've never gotten a text that says we need to talk to where it's a two-hour encouraging conversation. Usually, when, when that person leads, I have, I have my head on my desk and I'm just saying, what just happened? Encourage one another and build each other up. That's, that's Paul's command in just about every book that he wrote to the churches. Encourage one another. Send a text to someone this week and say, hey, we need to talk. Let them freak out for a couple days. And then when you meet them for coffee, spend an hour t- telling them what a great job they're doing as a mom, as a dad, as an aunt and uncle, whatever it may be. Encourage one another. Put value on them. Show them that they are valuable in the position that they are in. Also, we read in uh, all throughout the Gospels, but in specifically in Matthew chapter 6, to forgive one another. To forgive one another. And I was, I was listening actually to, to something this week and it was a great reminder for me that uh, to, when, when you ask for forgiveness or when you're forgiving someone, uh, it, the, the person who is, who is being forgiven shouldn't just say sorry but should ask for forgiveness because it means that they want that relationship to be restored. They're not just sorry for what they did. They're not just sorry that something happened. But they're saying, hey, I want us to go back to the way things were. Would you help me do that? And so often we forget that step. We just say, you know, say sorry, say sorry. Okay, we're, we're done. And the relationship just slowly breaks apart because there's no restoration. There's no asking for forgiveness. And lastly, this one's an easy one. Do everything in love. 1 Corinthians sixteen fourteen. Everything you do must be done in love. It's not an option. That's not an option that God gave you. It's not say, hey, everything you do, uh, you know, 50-50 maybe. No, it's everything you do, it must be done in love. It's not an option if you're a believer. Everything you do must be done in love. Chapter 4 is interesting because we don't often uh, think of it. In in 1 John chapter 4, you're heading... In, in, in the top of the chapter might say something like uh, testing the spirits or discerning the spirits or something like that. And it took me a long time to understand kind of what John is talking about. Because here he's talking about um, what to look for uh, in, in a spirit of, of something that's not from God. And he says if, 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 uh, it, if the spirit does not confess that Christ has come in flesh and that he is from God, both of those things, that's very important. That Jesus Christ came in flesh, but also he was from God. Not just sent like a prophet from God, but from God. There are many, many people who would confess that Jesus is a real person. And that he had flesh, that he was fully man. And not confess that he is God. There are some people who would confess that he is God, but he wasn't really fully man. You have to accept both. That spirit has to say it's both. Fully God, fully man. But on, on the other side of that, often we, we're, we're looking for, for spirits that uh, are, are not from God, but the one, what about the ones that are from God? He gave us very, very, a very, very easy way to see if a spirit is from God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the things that we are meant to emulate. If you see someone emulating those things, it's easy to see that they are from God when they emulate those things. And it's easy to recognize the Holy Spirit. We often think that it's not, but it really is. 
He's given us some very clear signs of what it means to recognize the Holy Spirit and to test spirits that may not be from God. Lastly, in, in John, 1 John chapter 5, uh, your heading might say something like overcoming the world or defeating the world, something along those lines. And in 1 John chapter 5, it's my probably my favorite chapter in the book to study because there are some um, trouble passages that uh, require a, a, what I would say a deep knowledge of Scripture and be able to draw back on other places in Scripture because John is, is going back and talking about some things. So uh, if you're reading 1 John chapter 5 and you get stuck and are trying to understand something, um, there are many resources that can, that can help you do that. But in, in 1 John 5, uh, verses 4 through 5, it's very, very uh, special and, and encouraging to us. It says, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, our God-given faith. That's how we have overcome the world. If you go to uh, the, the Gospel of John and... and um, Go to chapter 16. It's, it's a great, great series of passages where, where Jesus is talking. And in verse 33, he gives some encouragement. He says, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, for I have overcome the world. Not you, Jesus. And my favorite passage that talks about this is, is Galatians 2.20. This is one of my favorite verses in, in all of Scripture. Galatians 2.20. Paul spends a lot of time talking about uh, uh, who Christ is and how faith brings righteousness and, and um, the, some of the, what happened at the Council of Jerusalem and the things that are being discussed. And he, he lets us know why we have overcome the world and how Christ did it. It says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Because you have been crucified with Christ, because you are able to take part in the very work of Christ, you are a participant in the gospel. It's not a sideline faith. It's a get-in-the-game faith. Because of what Christ has done, He has brought you back so that you can play in this great game. You have been crucified with Christ. You were there. If you are a believer, you were with Him when He was hanging on that cross. He did that for you. He did that for me. And in, in 1 John chapter 5, he, he wraps up by saying, this is our confidence, our faith, our God-given faith, what Christ has done for you and for me. We can be confident in overcoming the world. This world is scary. This world gets me down. This world drags me down. It, it discourages me. But I know that we can have peace because our Redeemer lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word and the life that it brings. I thank you for this, uh, this letter, 1 John, that John wrote it to believers. He wrote it to us. He wrote it for us to have an understanding of, of who you are and, and for some correction. I pray that we would remember that you are our confidence. You're, you're our great mediator and advocate. You're, you provide us with life and light. You remind us that, and I, I pray that you would, you would help us to love one another, that we would recognize 
the spirits that are from you, but also from the enemy. And I pray that you would encourage us this morning in a, remind, in a reminding that we have overcome the world through being crucified with you. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. As we go into um, worship, I wanted to share with you a, a verse this morning that I was reading. It, was, it says, The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. This is from Job, chapter 33. In the, in the anguish of his life and the crisis, God moves his heart to this place of worship where he knows and understands he's under the sovereign hand of Elohim, his creator, and that the very breath that is in our lungs comes from him. So as we stand to sing, let's just take a deep breath in and a deep breath out and recognize that very breath came from him. Shout your praise. 
brethren, that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on the immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of these things, there's a command at the end of this chapter that we often forget about. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Because of what Christ has done for you, would you abound in his work this week? Have a great week. For the small things like me and her on a porch swing, the summer nights and fireflies.